Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. We're looking at the book of Romans again. We're back in Romans. This is the 11th part in the series, the book of Romans. Today is the imitation of Christ from Romans chapter 6. So I hope you'll take your Bible and look with us in Romans 6, the first 14 verses. Um, my sources include R.C. Sproul's The Righteous Shall Live by Faith, his commentary on Romans. Kent Hughes's commentary on Romans from the Preaching the Word series. John R.W. Stott has the best treatment of this chapter, in my opinion, from the message of Romans, the Bible Speaks Today, and Stuart Aliot, The Gospel As It Really Is, from the Wellwind series. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Holy Word, Romans chapter 6. This is verse... One, this is the word of God. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. Please help us to understand it, especially to apply it to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. D.A. Carson. Some of you know the name D.A. Carson. Great writer. He's a Reformed theologian. He is Professor Emeritus of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. He used to meet with a young man from French-speaking West Africa for the purpose of practicing German, speaking German. So he writes this about his encounter and relationship with this man. He says, once a week or so, we had had enough of working on our German. So we went out for a meal together and retreated to speaking French, a language that we both knew very well. In the course of those meals, we got to know each other quite well. 
I learned that he had a wife in London training to be a medical doctor. He was an engineer who needed fluency in German in order to pursue doctoral studies in engineering in Germany. He said, I also soon discovered that once or twice a week, this young man would disappear into the red light district of town. Obviously, he went to pay his money and have his woman. Eventually, I got to know him well enough that I asked him what he would do if he discovered that his wife was doing something similar in London. Oh, he said, I'd kill her. I said to him, don't you think that's a bit of a double standard? He says, you don't understand. Where I come from in Africa, the husband has the right to sleep with many women. But if a wife is unfaithful to her husband, she must be killed. He says, but you told me you were raised in a missionary school, a Christian school. You know that the God of the Bible does not have double standards like that. He said at this point, he gave me a bright smile and replied, quoting the 19th century romantic poet Heinrich Heine. He said it in French, but I'll just give you the translation. Ah, God is good. He's bound to forgive us. After all, that's his job. There's a theological term that you will find in the scriptures from time to time. It's a term that I spoke to the college students today about. Sanctification. Sanctification. Now, there are different aspects to sanctification, but for our purposes this morning, let's focus on what is called progressive sanctification. This is the process of growing in the faith, becoming more like Christ in your life. You see, the Bible says that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, giving you the desire, giving you the want to, to please God. He helps you by His grace to put aside some of your bad habits, some of your past sins, really is what I'm saying, as you begin this process of growing in the faith, which should lead to new habits. I mean, here we are in a new year, so it's time for some new habits, right? Good practices in your life that will honor the Lord. But some people ask the question that the Apostle Paul posed in our text, if my sins have already been forgiven, then why can't I just go out and do exactly whatever I please? I mean, God is going to forgive me anyway, right? Wrong. Romans 6 verse 1, the very first verse in our text says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, since God is a God of grace and He's decided to show us all this undeserved kindness, doesn't that sort of give us a license to sin? Listen to Paul's answer in verse 2. By no means. In other words, not on your life. Why not? Because if Christ has truly come into your life, listen to this, you will not be comfortable with continuing to sin. 1 John 3 verse 6 says this, No one who, li- who lives in Him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. Now before you misunderstand, this passage does not say that if you are a Christian, you will stop sinning altogether. But it does say that if you're a Christian, you will not be comfortable with continuing to do some of the things that you used to do. You see the difference? 
So let's look at four lessons today. And our text talks about this very specifically. And and I hope you'll understand the connection between what Paul has written and what it means to continue in the faith in Christ. Lesson number one, understand what has happened to you. Understand what has happened to you. Verse two, we died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Now, this is a very important phrase in this text. So what does it mean? The phrase died to sin occurs three times, three times in this chapter. It is a principle of biblical interpretation that the same phrase recurring in the same context has the same meaning. Now, two of the references refer to Christians and one refers to Christ. So if all three mean the same thing, tell me, what does it mean when it says we died to sin? Better yet, what does it mean when it says that Christ died to sin? Think about it. It it cannot mean, it cannot mean that Jesus somehow became unresponsive to sin because that would imply that he was formerly responsive to it. And as far as ourselves, tell me this. Have you died to sin in the sense that your old nature has become unresponsive to it? Of course not. So if your old nature is alive and kicking, and it is, who died? Look at verse 6 in the text. Very, very important. Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self, this is where the NIV is actually right on target. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What is this old self? That has been crucified. Is it your former nature? Is it your old man, your flesh that pulls you towards sin? No, because you know very well that that part of you is unfortunately still very much alive and well. What died when you came to faith in Jesus Christ was your old sinful life. Your old sinful life. You see, verse six in our text describes something which has happened to us. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Now, listen to this verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Is that the same thing? Not really. So, don't miss this. There are two distinct ways. Two distinct ways the New Testament speaks of the Christian's spiritual death in connection with growing in sanctification, growing in God's grace. And so here they are. I hope you're writing these in your outline. This is very important. Number one is a death to sin through identification with Jesus Christ. A death to sin is the first one, the first way. Second is a death to self. A death to self through imitation of Jesus Christ. That's a hard one, isn't it? To die to yourself. To not live for yourself. So the first one, a death to sin, is a legal death. It is a death to the penalty of sin. And this has to do with our past. And it's not repeatable. I died in Christ to sin one time. The second is a mortal death. And it's a death to the power of sin. You see the difference? One is to the penalty of sin, and the second is to the power of sin. This second experience belongs to my present, and it is repeatable. 
I die like Christ to my old self, to my old life every single day. Okay? So if you become a Christian, if Christ is your Savior and your Lord, then understand what has happened to you. You've died to the penalty of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet you're also every day dying to the power of sin. So understand what has happened to you. Number two, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. And this is where we find this in verse 11. He says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, understand that this transformation has taken place in your heart and remind yourself of it on a regular basis. Especially, especially when you're being tempted to sin. John Stott puts it this way. If Christ's death was a death to sin, which it was, and if his resurrection was a resurrection to God, which it was, and if we have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, which we have, then we ourselves have died to sin and risen to God, and we must reckon it so. That's what John Stott says. Now, it may sound a little bit like make-believe. Okay? To reckon it's so, but it's not make-believe. The Bible's not talking about pretending that our old nature has died when we know perfectly well that it is not. It's not what it's saying. We're considering, we're counting, we're reckoning that our old self, our former life, our former self has died since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and put an end to its career. Once you realize that your old life that you lived before Jesus has ended, that the debt has been paid, the law has been satisfied, you should want nothing to do with that life ever again. So think of it this way, and I've shared this before. When you become a Christian, there's volume one and volume two. Volume one is what you were like before you became a Christian. Volume two is what you are like now. So which way are you living? Are you living in volume one of your life or volume two of your life? Let's say, for lack of a better illustration, that in your former life, before you became a Christian, you were a professional thief. A professional thief. That's what you did. That's volume one of your story of your life. And then one day you become a Christian, Christ comes into your life, and so now you don't feel comfortable being a thief any longer. Jesus Christ has given you a new desire to please Him, and so you've turned in repentance from your sin and in faith to Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, you're not very comfortable with this whole thing of pulling a job and stealing. You feel compelled to be honest, to get a real job, to earn an honest living. And since you were so thoroughly involved in that lifestyle, you have a lot of friends, and they don't seem to get it. One day, one of them says to you, Hey, Frank, uh, i, I got to lead on a job we can pull. Lots of cash, piece of cake, very easy. And you think, you know, man, it would be very easy to do that. But that's not me anymore. I don't really want to do that anymore. That's, that's volume one of the story of my life. I, I'm not living in volume one anymore. I'm living in volume two. I'm not supposed to do that anymore. So you resist it. And by having that conversation with himself, Frank has just made it to step two. He has considered himself dead to sin, but alive to God. And he's fought the temptation to sin. Now, step three or lesson three, decide, decide that sin will not control you any longer. That's a decision you make. Number one, understand what has happened to you. Number two, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. And number three, decide that sin will not control you any longer. And that's in verse 12. It says this, therefore, do not let sin 
reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You see, it's not enough to understand that your old life is over, that your new life has begun. No, you see, we must remind ourselves. We must remind ourselves all the time that our new life has begun and that even though sin can tempt you, it cannot control you. And by the grace of God, you can win more victories than defeats. So if you feel the urge, if you have the opportunity to do something wrong or foolish or selfish or hurtful, if you think you need a drink or a pill to calm you down or loosen you up, if you believe you have to give yourself away sexually to feel loved and valuable, if you think you have to bend the truth to close a deal, remind yourself of who you are, that your old life is over, your new life has begun, And by the grace of God at work in your life, decide today that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will live not to please sin, not to please self, but to please God. First Corinthians 10, 13. Look that verse up for a moment, would you? First Corinthians 10, 13. First Corinthians 10, 13. And it says everyone is tempted, right? Everyone is tempted. It says, no temptation has taken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now look at verse 12. Be careful that you do not fall. Be careful that you stand in such a way that you do not fall. Okay, this is the Rhett's version of verse 12. Verse 12 is basically saying, don't be so sure of yourself and thinking, I got this thing conquered because temptation is just around the corner. In other words, be really cognizant of the fact that you have struggles and that there is temptation coming. There are trials coming. Before you fall, be careful. Think about where you stand. You stand only in the grace of God. And you and I, we sin every day. We make bad choices every day. And that's why verse 12 is there. To remind you to don't stand on your own strength. You stand on the strength of Christ and the grace of God. And that's why verse 13 comes next. He says, look, no temptation that's taken you is... It's all common to man. Everybody's tempted. And so when you are tempted, and you will be... Remember, there's a way out. And the way out is Jesus Christ. You know, I talked about West Africa. Let's talk about Central Africa for a few minutes. The the guinea worm, the guinea worm is the largest possible parasite known to plague people. And it's found in certain areas of Central Africa. It begins its life as a larvae and often hitches a ride in a millimeter long crustacean called Cyclops. When a human drinks water from a stream, and by the way, after hearing this illustration, you'll probably never drink water again from a stream. When a a human drinks water from a stream in Central Africa, the cyclops enter the stomach where gastric juices make short work of the cyclops. The larvae of the guinea worm, however, are not destroyed. The worms poke holes in the human intestines and go for a swim. After about three months, the male and the female larvae get together, and about one year later, a full-grown guinea, the width of a paperclip wire up to three feet long, 
begins to move through the body of its human host, causing tremendous pain. And finally, the worm pokes out of the host's body, usually through the foot. And if not removed, the parasite will eventually lead to the host's death. It's a sad, sad illustration. Once the worm exposes itself, it can only be removed a few centimeters a day. Otherwise, the worm will pull apart and die, resulting in infection and possibly death for the host. Sometimes the painful process takes weeks or months. The guinea worm is like sin. And that's why I share it with you. The guinea worm is like sin in three important ways. First, sin is easy to, easy to get involved in. Sin is very easy to get involved in. You've got friends that want you to get involved in their sin. Sin is easy to get involved in. Just like drinking the water from a stream seems very simple and, and harmless, sin seems that way. Secondly, sin is difficult to get rid of once it's taken hold. When sin pokes its head out of our lives and we realize it has to be dealt with, we should act. Forgiveness comes quickly, but many times the process of getting free from its pull is very slow and agonizing. So don't get started in the first place in sin. And finally, like the guinea worm, sin, when left unchecked, will kill you. The scripture is very true. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So understand what has happened to you. You are a new person if you are a Christian today. Consider yourself dead to sin every single day but alive to God. And then decide... I'm not going to let sin control me by the grace of God. And then number four is resolve to be God's instrument. It's a great resolution for the new year. Resolve to be God's instrument. Verses 13 and 14. Do not offer your bodies, the parts of your body, to sin or as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. For sin, it says in verse 14, shall no longer be your master. And in the sense of which we prayed today, when Bo was leading us in the prayer of confession, he mentioned something that he mentions quite often, and I hope you take note of it, that through Christ we are free from sin. Now, he doesn't mean that we will not sin any longer, or that we're not going to struggle with sin he means that because Christ has paid the penalty, the penalty has been paid. So sin shall no longer be your master. The penalty has been paid. But that still is something we have to deal with. The power of sin is always going to be alive and well for the Christian. Always going to be something you're going to have to battle. And it is a war that we're involved in as followers of Christ. And so every day... Several times a day, several dozen times a day, you and I are faced with the choice. Am I going to live for God or am I going to live for myself? Am I going to allow the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me to give me the strength to beat this wicked opportunity, whatever it is? Or am I going to go back to being what I've always been? It's a good question for the new year. In 1738, the literary giant Samuel Johnson wrote this in his diary, 1738. O Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. Laziness. Nineteen years later, he wrote these words. O mighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin by diligent application of the days yet remaining.
He wrote some variation of this prayer every year after that. Finally, in 1775, 38 years after his first resolution, he wrote these words. When I look back, when I look back upon resolution of improvement and amendments which have year after year been made and broken, why do I yet try and resolve again? I try, and this is very important. I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. Johnson's describing many of us, don't you think? You know, the gospel is good news. And I hope you know that. The gospel is good news announcing Jesus Christ's infallible devotion to us in spite of our inconsistent devotion to Him. And yes, we are beginning a new year. But maybe we need to balance out our New Year's resolutions. Maybe we need to remember the words of Jesus when He said this, Do not worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble on its own. On this first Sunday of the new year, I want you to take comfort in the fact that even though you are weak, he is strong. He is strong. That even as our love for Jesus falls short, oftentimes, Jesus' love for us will never fall short. Is that not the best news in the world? Is that not the best news? Yet I urge you, in spite of that grace... That God offers to us to come to Christ this first Sunday of the year in faith and in repentance, asking the Lord to enable you by the power of his spirit to live volume two every single day, not volume one. Don't go back to the way you used to be. Make progress in your faith. Thomas A. Kempis wrote in the 15th century, one of the most popular and best known Christian devotionals. Entitled, The Imitation of Christ. And I use that as my title for today's message. And he absolutely nailed it when he said this. Look, it all consists in the cross. It all lies in dying to self. And there is no other way to life and true peace within. And I think the Apostle Paul put it best in our verse of the week, which is Galatians 2, verse 20. Please read it out loud with me. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us to be your disciples. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are so grateful for the good news of the gospel that you love us in spite of who we are. That in spite of the fact that we are depraved sinners, you have poured out your love and grace into our lives. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross to demonstrate how much you loved us. Lord Jesus, you have called us to be holy. And we are nothing like that. So please forgive us today and enable us on this first Sunday of the new year to repent of our sins and to turn in faith and trust to you and to keep our eyes upon you each and every day. Father, I pray for these new officers, these deacons and elders and treasurer, that you would bless them with the reminder each and every day of who they belong to and of who they ultimately serve, not just this church, but you, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll bless these officers and may our church be blessed because of them. And Father, would you watch over our church with your mercy in this year? We need you, Lord, every every day and every hour. So I pray your blessings upon us. 
that we might live our life for Christ and Christ alone, and that you might be glorified at this place, this portion of your body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.